could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I met him Come on! I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my tooth Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Your freedom is all that I know. The old man knew Jesus of my You call my name. So feel free to stand, to clap, to sing along with us in your homes. Uh, let's do this song, Hannah.
Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. You guys built your snow bunnies yet? Just remember, it's spring. My name's Evan. I'm the pastor of Rimrock Downtown. You know, I wanted to let you know, Ben, the head pastor of Rimrock, and I decided to do things a little bit differently. Well, honestly, if you came down to Rimrock Downtown right now, you would think we were doing a nightly newscast. Really, I feel like Dan Rathers from 60 Minutes. You know, I think the one thing that we're lacking is a makeup person. So if you're in need of something to do this morning. But anyway, before the bottom dropped out on our normalcy, Ben and I wanted both campuses to be unified as one church. And so we're going to team teach today. You know, you'll get me, a little bit of music, and then Ben will be up there. You know, before we jump into the word, let's pray. Bring our minds before our creator. God, we are here because of you. Therefore, we come to you and ask for what we need. Pour it upon us. Wherever we're at in this country, in this world, pour your goodness upon us. Amen. All right, you guys ready? So I'm going to start with a definitive statement. We have all been created. Let me say that again. Think about the ramifications of that statement. You have been created. You know, I've become confident in this statement for a lot of different reasons. Let me give a couple to you. The fact that I long for far more than this world can give. Always have, always will. The miraculous things that I've read about throughout human history and the times that I've experienced things that my logic cannot explain. The precision in which our world and universe has been made and operates so that way we may have life day after day. The power of the human body. Let me elaborate a little bit more on this one. Every single person has approximately 100 trillion cells in their body. At the center of each of these cells is a nucleus which contains DNA. This is the building blocks of each of these cells. Every single one of these cells does whatever the DNA instructs it to do. You know, the way that our 100 trillion cells operate in unison, bringing us life, is phenomenal. But what is even more incredible, at least for me, is the fact that we might be able to have direct influence on our DNA. Let me explain. Instead of being made like robots that are set on autopilot, we have the ability to slowly change the most fundamental parts of who we are. Science has begun to figure out, and I quote, we can influence the structure of the genes by external self-effort. The repetition of the same matter will sensitize our receptors that leads to the cascade of chemical reactions in the cell, And later, this will change the structure of the genes and rewrite the script on the genes. So about 5% of us understood what that meant. Let me put it in more layman terms. Through repetition, we have the ability to change the blueprints of our cells. Through concentrated effort, we can change the ways that we have been hardwired. This means that our creator has given us the ability to become better at being a human being. And this isn't just our physical, it's also our minds. Science has discovered that through constant meditation, the building blocks of a person can be slowly transformed. That means that you have the ability to become a new person, to overcome the natural tendencies of being afraid when hardships hit or the way that you tend to always be angry or impatient. 
or the power of lust, greed, laziness. We even have the ability to overcome addictions at times. We have not been made to simply remain locked in our broken ways. Rather, we have been made so that way we can be transformed more into the people that we were designed to be. And this isn't just science, right? The Bible says this clearly. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that way you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For me, this speaks heavily to the notion that we have been intentionally made. A random collection of cells that exists simply due to chance would not have the ability to recreate itself. It simply would be whatever it is. But we have been made by an all-powerful creator who has given us an incredible design to become more like the way he wanted us to be instead of being simply byproducts of our environment. You know, we can go so many different routes on this, but this idea of being a creator, a fundamental thing to think about is that we have been created to operate in specific ways. Think about it. Everything that has been made is made with a design to do specific things. Look around you. Look at your computer, your TV, the couch that you're sitting on, right? The pants that you're wearing, the belt, whatever. It's all been made for intentional reasons. We fall under the same form of logic. We have been made to function in certain ways. Jesus gives us a black and white statement of exactly what we've been made to do in Matthew 22. He said, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, law, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet." You know, he says all the law. So that's the 611 commandments that we see in the Old Testament. They all stem from either loving the Lord your God or loving others well. Look at the Ten Commandments. First four, love God. Last six, love others. Now, I know we've all been given unique abilities and a certain amount of time and natural proclivities, right? And so our purposes are all different. But at the base of all of our purposes are these two things, love God and love others. Now, there's a lot of different tracks we can go down with this truth, but this morning, I want you to think about the times that you have not lived the way that you were designed to live. I know it's kind of a heavy thing to consider, but let me give you a couple questions. How often do you make things other than God your priority? Your work, your play, pleasure, other people, how often do you love yourself more than you love other people? How often do you love things more than you love others? Right? If you're honest with yourself, you and me are often not living the way that we were designed to live. Instead of using every minute and breath that our Creator has given us to do what He wants us to do, we instead place ourselves at the forefront of our minds. Instead of looking for ways to love other people really well, we're far more concerned about ourselves and what is best for us. 
You know, if you know me at all, or if you've been around while I've been teaching, you've heard a lot of examples of the ways that I've been extremely selfish in my past. You know, a party you're just running wild for years and years. But I've also have been and continue to be selfish in a lot of small ways. You know, a few days ago, I was hanging out with my son, a seven-year-old, and he was doing what seven-year-olds love to do, just playing in the dirt, right? Just getting crazy. Dust was flying everywhere. I happened to be close to him raking. A, some wind picked up, blew some dust in my eyes, and I lost it on him. I yelled at him, scolded him. There was nothing loving or selfless about what I was doing. You know, and this applies to all of us. In big ways and small, we are selfish individuals that do not follow our Creator's design. Right? The author of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. Justice and righteousness is what is good. It's what we are created to do. Right? Wickedness is the opposite of that. Now, if we were like any other created thing, the moment that our creator saw that we were broken, we would be placed on the shelf, thrown into the trash pile. But like we've been looking at downtown, that's not who God is. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 gives us a great example of who he is. The one who made us is full of mercy and grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Because of this, he continues to provide us with what we need for life. And I just love the way that Jesus puts it in Matthew 5:45. For he, God, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Even though we so often malfunction, God continues to give us what we need to live life. But if we keep reading in Exodus 34, we see that we, there are still direct ramifications for us not living the way that we were designed to live. So it says, God forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. God is not only full of love and mercy and grace, he is also perfectly just. He does not have the ability to turn a blind eye to our rebellion. Instead, he must honor our choice to reject his authority and to live the way that we think is best. Because of this, someday we will be judged for the way that we lived our lives. You know, the Bible says this in multiple spots. I want us to look at two. First one, Ecclesiastes 3.17. So the verse that follows what we just read. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for he has appointed a time for every matter and for every work. The second one, Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who sat on it. The earth and the heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Also, another book was opened, the book of life. And the, the dead were judged according to their works, as were recorded in the book. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is heavy. Like it says in both passages, we will be judged for our work, the choices that we made. The verse in, verses in the verse, excuse me, in Ecclesiastes gives us a little bit more insight into how we will be judged. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for he has appointed a time for every matter and for every work. I believe that the author is bringing us back to the truth that we have been created for specific things. When God examines our life, it sounds like he'll be looking to see if we loved him and loved others with everything that we have. If we chose to continually make him our priority. You know, in Revelation 20, we see the consequences of this judgment. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And all were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, before you allow your emotions and your logic to take you down the train of thought of God being judgmental and full of wrath, take a moment to consider who he is and who you are. He is perfect. There is only good in him. But you and me, we are imperfect. We are broken. You know, when God is, at the time of judgment, God is bringing all things back to its original design, a place that is full of good. All of creation is going to be directly in his presence. That means that whatever is imperfect must be removed from the new creation. Therefore, regardless of how you tried to live a perfect life, because you didn't, you cannot be in his presence. Therefore, you must go to the lake of fire. But did you see that there was another choice, a different book? Revelation 20:15. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, because of who God is, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he provided a way for us to experience eternity in his presence, face to face with the almighty maker of everything. But how? How do we get our names written in this book of life? How could a just God see an imperfect humanity as perfect? It requires somebody to take our place. We need a substitute. Somebody to bear the just consequences of our selfish choices. When someone else is willing to pay the price for our rebellion, that means that justice has been served and life can be freely given. This leads us to the Easter story of Jesus. Now I'm going to present this in two different ways. First one, I'm just going to let you know who Jesus is and what he did. Jesus was God himself who became a man. He lived a perfect life. That means one without fault. Everything he did, he loved God and he loved others. When he was approximately 33 years old, he willingly laid down his life for his wicked creation. He allowed himself to be punished in the way that criminals in that day were sometimes punished. Crucifixion. Even though he didn't deserve a single ounce of what he experienced, he willingly carried his pain and spiritual isolation so that those who cried out to him could be justly shown mercy. 
During his execution, he bore all of our sins, every single ounce of our selfishness, the times when we lived outside of our design. Therefore, he was completely cut off from his Father's presence, similar to those that will be in the lake of fire. I love the way 1 Peter 2.22 puts it. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, free from sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Because he did this, because he was our substitute, we have the ability to have our names written in the book of life. Now, if you've ever been to an Easter service before, you've heard that. And so I want to give it to you in another way, a way that will maybe allow you to see it afresh from the perspective of a man named Barabbas. If you go to Mark 15, you can read about Barabbas and his story. He was a criminal, most likely a murderer, who was arrested and held captive at the same place where Jesus' trial took place. And he was... uh, going to be crucified, punished for his rebellion that he had done against the state. Now imagine what that day must have been like for Barabbas. You're going going to face justice. Pay the penalty for the wrongs that you've committed. You're going to be beaten and hung on a cross as the crowd yells at you, mocks you, as you slowly die. Imagine the fear and the anxiety that you would have been feeling in your prison cell as you wait for the guards to come towards you. You hear the crowds getting louder and louder. You hear your name mentioned, and then people shout out, Crucify him! In those moments, anyone would have been in a state of total hopelessness, a real understanding of the foolishnesses of their choices and the consequences of their pain. You then see the, the guards come. They open your cell and bring you out. As you get up into the open, you see the crowd, but all of a sudden the guard pushes you and says you're free to go. Completely overwhelmed by confusion, you turn back towards the guards and see them walking away. Over their shoulder, you see another man being yelled at by the crowd as he's dragged away. As your freedom sets in, you are overwhelmed by joy and excitement. You have no idea why you have what you have. Maybe it was the mercy of Pilate. Maybe it was sheer luck. But you've never before felt more alive. Instead of running home, you decide to stick around to figure out why things had rolled out the way they had. By this point, your fellow criminals, inmates, had been crucified. Out of strange curiosity, you decide to take a look to see what it would be like. As you get closer, you see how terrible of a spot they're in. The excruciating pain. Knowing that you should have been hanging next to them causes your stomach to turn and your knees to weaken. You then notice a third man, the same man that you had seen dragged away as the crowd was yelling. You ask the woman next to you, who is he? She tells you he's a teacher named Jesus, a miracle worker that the Pharisees hated. He was unjustly tried and then crucified for no reason. 
and she tells you something that you will never forget. Another criminal, a murderer, was supposed to be there, one who deserved to be crucified, but he was set free because of Jesus. As her words sink in, you stumble away, overwhelmed by the mercy that you have received. Because Jesus is hanging on the cross, you have been given life. You know, it's the same for you and I now. If you've cried out to the God of the Bible, then the just penalty for all of your selfishness has been paid, and your name has been written in the book of life.
God so loved the world, and I, if, I wish we were all together this morning celebrating that truth together, but if you're on Facebook, would you just write in, I'm loved? Uh, that 
is so true that we need to understand that God gave, that God loved, and that's the nature, the character of God. And as Evan just described so well the story of Barabbas and how Jesus took his place, he's taken our place. So this Easter, as we uh, come together to celebrate Jesus together, uh, we believe that God is working He's moving. He's inviting us into his love this morning. I want to take a few minutes as we, uh, as we celebrate Easter to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. As a church family at Rimrock, we have been going through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And a lot of people say, well, Ecclesiastes seems like a, a, a depressing book. But the reality is Ecclesiastes is a book about joy. And the message this morning out of Ecclesiastes, this Easter, and this may be the only Easter where you've uh, heard a message out of Ecclesiastes, is about joy. It's about joy. I think of uh, the time we're living in, and there's a, a lot of darkness in our time. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of you who are watching this morning who have gone going through things that are very difficult, very painful. There's loss. There's uncertainty. There's fears in your life, in our world. And so I think many of us, as we go through these times, we look back and we think, who are other people who've gone through dark times? And I have been thinking the last few weeks about a woman uh, named Cory ten Boom. And uh, some of you know her story, but she was a, a Dutch girl, and her family lived in Holland. And the Nazis, as they swept across Europe, they got caught up in that uh, invasion of the Germans. And they had a choice. Either they were going to uh, follow along or they were going to do what God called them to do. And God called them to uh, rescue and hide Jews. And Corrie ten Boone said, in the darkness, God's truth shines clearly. And she lived that out. Her life was characterized by joy. Her life was characterized by love. Her life was characterized by forgiveness. And she said something really important that I really want to focus on this morning. She said, if we look around us at the world, we'll be distressed. If we look inside of us, we will find depression. But if we look at Christ, we will find rest. Isn't that a good word for us? That if we look to Christ, we will find rest. And I believe we will find joy and we will find hope. And this morning, as we go through Ecclesiastes, I want you to uh, look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 at what Solomon said. Because as Evan described, Solomon looked around and he saw the reality of a lot of darkness, a lot of death. And he was wondering, and he had questions about the meaning of life. And just before, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talked about life being a gift from God. And as a gift from God, we can find joy. But he had some other questions. And so I'm going to read, starting in uh, verse 18. I said in my heart, Solomon said, with regard to human beings, that God is testing them to show that they are but animals. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so the other dies. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all from the dust, and to dust they return again. And I think about the reality of death, and uh, all of us will face death. It's inevitable for every single thing, every living thing, including us as human beings. 
And we are really good at pretending that death doesn't exist. We're really good at ignoring that reality. But in Ecclesiastes and in the world today, we can't ignore it. We look around us and we hear messages of death. We look around us and we see death. We experience it around us all the place, all the time. And so here we come face to face with this reality. And so Solomon has a question. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upward or the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth? And so Solomon doesn't know. He doesn't know what happens after death. He's curious. He has a question. But he's also making a statement. Death is real. It's a reality. So I looked, and there was nothing better than that all should enjoy their work, for that is their lot. And then he asked the second question. Who can bring them to see what will be after them? And so these are the two questions I want to spend just a few minutes with you this morning, this Easter morning. These two questions. The first question is, who knows whether the spirit goes upward and the spirit of the animal goes downward into the earth? I think only Easter can answer this question and Solomon's second question. Only Easter is the solution to understanding the dilemma of the human race and the dilemma of all creation. I think of, of what Solomon was thinking about, not just human beings, but animals. Uh, we all have a love for the creation around us, the beauty around us. There's something wonderful about uh, all of these things. And we wonder, and uh, maybe you're wondering this morning, Ben, haven't you seen the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven? And, and I have, and I don't know if Solomon got to see it, but um, that answers part of that question, right? But uh, the reality is the Bible speaks to this issue in Romans chapter 8 because Jesus came and he lived this life just as we live it. He lived it full just as we do with all the uncertainties, all the stretching, painful things that happen in our life, all the good things that we experience in life, Jesus experienced life as we experience it. He ate, he drank, he had family, he experienced the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows. But Jesus also experienced death. He faced it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't pretend that it didn't exist. He, he went to that place as God. He went to the place of death, and not just any death, an isolating, lonely, painful, shameful death, the worst kind of death that a human being could ever experience, Jesus experienced. But look what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 tells us that we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth birth right up to this present time. When Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples that he had a purpose, that he had a plan, that he was going to die for a reason, for a purpose. As Evan described, it was as a substitute. He was dying to take our place. And we also know that Jesus said that he was going to rise again on the third day, that he was going to come out of that grave, and that he was going to give life but he said something very interesting to his disciples. He says, I'm going to be leaving. After I rise from the dead, I'm going to be leaving for a time. And we believe that we're living in that time. And he said, in that time, you're going to be waiting and preparing for my coming. Because I'm coming back again. 
Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords said, I am coming back again to finish the work that I started on the cross and the resurrection, that I'm going to make all things new. This is what he says in Romans 8. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And that's what Evan just talked about earlier, that we were made good, that this creation is good, that we were made for a purpose, a good purpose. And Jesus came to accomplish that. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the accomplishing work of Jesus, what he did on the cross and what he did in the resurrection. But it's available right now because this is what he says. If we hope for what we do not have, have, we wait for it patiently. And the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. Do you hear what these verses are saying? It's saying all of creation. So this is Solomon's question. Who knows if the human spirit will rise upward and if the animal will go down in the earth? And Jesus answers that question on Easter. He says all of creation waits patiently for its redemption. God is making all things new, and this is why we have hope. This is why we can celebrate on Easter 2020, because Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. What about Solomon's second question? Who can bring this about? Who can make this happen? And this is where we are today. We are waiting for this to happen, and so we wait patiently. We wait with hope. We wait like Corrie ten Boom waited. She waited in full expectation. She waited with joy. She waited with hope, knowing that God was working, that his resurrection power 2,000 years ago, and as Jesus walked out of that grave, if you read the story of Easter, you are, you are seeing that the women, as they come to that grave, they come early in the morning to prepare the body. And as they come, they see something. They see that the stone has been rolled away and they, they're curious. They wonder, where, where is Jesus? Where is his body? And so as they get closer, they peer into that dark hole. They're peering into death. And as they look into that hole and as they see that um, empty slab and all they see is the wrappings and there's no body. And they wonder, who has taken the body of Jesus? But as they're there, a man shows up. And he says, why? Why are you looking for the dead, um, where the, um, uh, looking for the living um, where the dead are? He's not here. He is risen. Jesus has risen from the grave. And the women were amazed. They were in wonder. They were in awe. And they believed at that moment. Just as Corey ten Boom believed in a time of darkness, we too can believe and hold on to the hope of the resurrection that Jesus has conquered the grave, that he has risen again. In Romans 8, it talked about childbirth. And I think of three days where my wife gave birth to our three kids. Three days where we waited in expectation, but there was a lot of pain. I watched my wife as she agonized in that moment. And as a husband, I wish I could have taken some of that from her, but I couldn't. I watched as she was in labor pain. And Jesus said, these are the days of labor pain. We will see suffering. We will see loss. We will see pain. But here's the hope of the resurrection. It's the birth 
It's the new birth of what God is doing. And so as we waited for those three sons to come, I will never forget as each one came into this world and they took their first breath. Life. <laughs> life. God breathed life into their lungs. And that is what Jesus is doing. As we look at the pain and the suffering around us, we look at Jesus and we find rest and we find life. Would you look at Jesus this morning? Would you not let this Easter go by without looking at Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who is soon and coming again? Would you be ready for his return? Will you receive the gift of his love, of his grace today? I want to invite you to pray with me as we continue to worship this morning. Lord Jesus, you see every person who is watching this right now. You know where their hearts are at. You know their pains. You know their sorrows. You know everything that they are facing. I pray right now that each person would know that you are good and that you love them and that you are inviting them to receive the gift of life of Jesus, that he paid for their sin, that they can receive his forgiveness and that they could be made new and whole and that all of creation will be made new again because of your grace. Let's worship him this morning.
the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise without hope with no place to begin sing with us and your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested my life began amen ash was redeemed only beauty remained My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over. from my 
chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. Why he canceled my debt and he called me his friend. displayed on a criminal's cross darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost but then Jesus arose with a freedom in hell that's when death was arrested my life began oh your grace sing it Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made a new now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now life begins. Thank you again for sharing Easter Sunday with us at Rimrock Church. Uh, we love you, and be sure to keep in touch with us through rimrockchurch.com. Have a blessed Easter. Amen.